WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Early voting is now underway for Charlotte City races. You might have noticed weird timing this year. Usually city races happen in odd number years, but delayed census numbers pushed back last year's city races. So the primary was held in May. The general election is happening right now. Winners will have shorter terms serving little more than a year. Guess what that means? That means we get to do this all over again next year when voters head back to the polls in November 2023. Joining us now, current Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Glad to be back. Uh, Y'all were called the most millennial city council in America when you guys were sworn in back in, in, in 2017. I'm not sure if you like that or not, but that's what you were called. Um, public safety, affordable housing, transit were all issues then. To your all's credit, progress has been made on, on some of those things, but we're still facing them all uh, to some degree or another. Uh, looking back at your, at your last few years in office, um, are, are, you, are you proud? Are you, you wish more could have been done in the last few years? What are your thoughts? Lark and I, start, I'll start with you. Yeah, all of the above. I'm, I'm absolutely proud of the work that we've done over almost five years now. And we have made progress on all the things that we all ran saying we wanted to work on. Those aren't issues you ever really solve. You just keep making progress. And I think we've done that on all the fronts that you just mentioned. But I think there's still a lot of work left to do. Um, but absolutely, in, in two months when I depart the city council, um, I'll have a lot of pride in the work that this group over the last two terms has done and under really, really unique and, and challenging circumstances. Tark? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I'm conflicted in how to answer that because I know over the last five years, this council has worked extremely hard. I, I've worked alongside Larkin. I've watched Larkin work extremely hard, and I'm very sad to see him not be in this position going forward. So I know a lot of great work has been done. Uh, but I would say it's almost the tale of two kind of periods where the first three years, it was kind of, you know, peacetime, for lack of a better word, when a lot of real good, strong work was going on. But the last two years is what I'm, I, I think that, you know, we could have done a lot better. And that was the pandemic time. I mean, obviously, every municipal government was learning through that period. But I think as I look back on that, one, our transportation system and and you know, from buses and how they operate today to where we're trying to go with it, not in a better place. We're actually in a pretty bad place there. Public safety, our officer morale is at all time low levels. And, you know, we're, we're watching we're watching high speed chases on our city streets, uh, wondering exactly how this state happened. Uh, and, you know, it just it begs the question, could we have done it better? Let's drill down on some of the issues uh, still facing council right now. Uh, first up, something that's been in the news this past week, social districts. Somehow, Raleigh is beating us to getting one. Um, evidently, we shouldn't expect one anytime soon here in Charlotte, at least not in the immediate future. City leaders say they're giving staff more time to research the districts before moving forward. The city says community members are concerned that a potential district could pop up near homes. But as I mentioned, Raleigh approving one this week. Hickory already has Salisbury, Mooresville. The city's saying, hold off for a second. Tark? Well, I, I'll be very brief on this because Larkin has done the lion's share of the work on this item, like many items that he's taken and put on his shoulders over the last five years. But I'll just say that, um, yeah, well, I mean, why are we so behind? Why are we so slow? It doesn't mean every single neighbor is going to have something pop up next to them, but it's an opportunity, especially post-pandemic, where we are right now in this economic 
uncertainty of these times where we can give small businesses another tool. So, I mean, I'll toss it to Larkin who deserves the, the ability to really talk on this one. The, the key word you said, Ben, is that some of these cities approved one. One being the key word there. And what we envision is that these are going to be things that uh, potentially could be a fit in multiple different areas of our city. You know, six, eight, 10 different places could be logical social districts should they choose to want to be that. Um, and so for us, we've got to set up something different. We can't just say there's going to be one and it's going to be downtown and it's going to be four blocks. We've got to say, how do we set up a sort of a framework that allows each individual area that might want to apply to be a social district to do so and do so with, with fair and equitable rules, but that also protect the folks who live in those communities, make sure that there's cleanup, there's a safety plan. Um, and so we want to not just stand up one, what I hope we can do in the two months before I depart council is to change the ordinance language. And I still think that's possible that will allow for Charlotte to more or less adopt the idea of social districts. And then the next council would be um, in charge of working with each of these individual interested areas to drill down on the details of their particular application and then approve it or deny it based on those. We're going to pause the conversation right there and continue it on the other side of this break. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week we are speaking to two members of Charlotte City Council, Tark Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Let's talk about cats. Um, for the last several weeks, we've seen more and more cats bus drivers call out. We're talking sometimes near 100 call outs. It's caused some major hiccups on routes people depend on. I mean, they've been on these routes every single day. Cat says it still needs to find more than 70 drivers to help cut down on these delays. Uh, it, it strikes me as city leaders are trying to come up and move forward with a transit and transportation and mobility plan. A lot of folks would say, we can't get these bus routes down right now. Um, are they wrong? Tark? Uh, no, no, Ben, they are not wrong, in fact. And I, I will tell you, it, it's gotten so bad that I, I've gotten to a point where I'm voting no on things that have a strategic touch point to cats. And, and it's unfortunate, but this is government. They move slow. They're not willing to do things. After a certain point of all of a sudden another thing goes wrong and another explanation blames it on, oh, well, we had bad contracts or, oh, this happened or that, you have to step back and say, wait a minute, is it leadership? Like, do we have a leadership problem? And I think the answer is yes, we have a leadership problem in CATS. Um, it, I've just seen too many things happen from bus driver safety being threatened to the terrible response that then followed it. And again, blaming others for the problems to ghost buses. And literally that's our bread and butter. Like if we can't operate a bus system, right? What, what are we gonna do with a 13 and a half billion dollar transit system? How do you build trust among passengers, voters? I mean, uh, uh, transit systems only as good as it is reliable. Yeah, I share some of those frustrations and I am a huge transit advocate. I do wanna see us move forward with this transformational mobility network. Um, and we've got to start building because this system, you know, some of these things like the silver line and the red line, they're going to take a, a decade or more to build out. We've got to start. We can fix some of the workforce challenges in the time that it will take to build out the system. However, we've got to put this on a ballot in front of voters and ask them to support it. And if the current state of things is such that they can't rely on a bus to pick them up when they expect it to and get them where they need to go, it's a it's a reach to then ask them to turn around and vote for it. I hope they will when the time comes, but we've got to make sure we're giving them something now that gives them the faith and the enthusiasm to go out and vote for what we might have in the future. 
Uh, sticking with transit in an op-ed this week in the Observer, your colleague outgoing Mayor Pro Tem Julie Eisel said the future council has to focus specifically on the Silver Line and, and they have to get it right. A reminder, the Silver Line would stretch 26 miles from west to east from Gaston County, passing through the airport, through Uptown, down Independence Boulevard corridor. Um, do, do you agree, each of you, that the Silver Line needs to be the priority and, and needs to be done right? Uh, the fact of the matter has been it's it's that was one of the more ridiculous out of touch op eds I've seen. And the fact that we're going to say the silver line is a priority. Number one, we're asking what's the big transformational investment we would make in transit and transportation in moving people in the future. And all you have to do is say, did the blue line 20 years ago when my wife and I moved here uh, and we were driving around South End, does it make it? easier or harder to get around South End? Is there more or less congestion? The answer is it's a it's way worse today in South End. And it's not because the blue line isn't a powerful tool. It's an economic development tool. It transformed that part of town. You can't even recognize it anymore, but not from moving people. So we're gonna say, all right, let's double down and go east to west. One, that's crazy. That's not how people are going to move in the next 20, 30, and 40 years. They're going to move by investing in our road networks and 5G and autonomous vehicles. That's future. Now they're saying, well, what's the Rice-A-Roni trolley going to do for us to move people going forward? But more importantly than that, to make the claim that, say, we're moving to Silver Line now, when the promises made 20-plus years ago to the towns with the red line that have not come through, that were the reason that transit tax passed. To go out and say that now and bypass that, that just shows that politicians don't care. I don't think that that op-ed was, was trying to deprioritize the red line. There's just a lot more questions about the silver line. The red line, there's one big question, and it's what we can figure out working with the railroad. We know where the red line would go. We know where it... We know where that uh, alignment would be. The Silver Line has a lot of questions about where the alignment's even going to be. How would it potentially share track with Blue Line? How would that impact service to the Blue Line? So there's a lot of things that I think we've got. I think her point was, and although I've not had the opportunity to talk to her about it since she wrote it, but I think her point was, we've got to make sure we get the alignment right on the Silver Line. And there's a lot of really big questions about does it go through the airport or near the airport? Does it go through uptown or around uptown? Does it share track with the blue line or is it completely dedicated track? All of these things have to be answered. The red line, we know exactly where it would go if and when we're able to do it. And I absolutely think that needs to be equal priority to the silver line. The gold line, streetcar, whole nother issue. I do think that light rail and, and improving our bus network has to be a much higher priority. Um, although I haven't completely written the streetcar off yet, I think it's it's demonstrated a lot more challenges um, and I, I don't think it returns it provides the return on investment. To the point about the blue line in South End, we cannot be, not with a straight face, selling light rail as a way to alleviate congestion. It doesn't do that. And, and if anyone ever said it did, they were either misinformed or lying. The fact of the matter is it gives people an option to get out of that congestion. It appears that the that will be sort of a lame duck um, council will vote on the UDO in August. Uh, Tark, I know you, you, you are bothered by this. Some say, listen, this is the council that's put it together. Why would they not vote on it? Uh, you disagree. Well, first of all, the same council that gave themselves raises and did all the unpopular things uh, last year that then de decided to delay the at-large and mayor races to this summer for this super low turnout, 
That's why we're here in the first place. Now they're saying, well, it needs to be this council that votes on it. And when staff says, well, it'd be hard, but we could vote on it before the election, they're like, no, 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 let's vote on it after July 26 in the lame duck month of August. That is insane. I literally, like my blood boils when I think about the fact of, yeah, we want to take the most unpopular contentious vote of our entire five year period after there's no accountability after the election is done before the new council comes in. And that loophole that I found is 100% accurate, which is we can by state statute be sworn in as soon as those election uh, uh, results are certified, which is August 11th, which means they fell into their own trap trying to be crafty. And all this, this city needs to do is elect one new person on, on my Republican slate and we will have the numbers to stop the UDO cold in its tracks. You know, the fact of the matter is it, there's pros and cons to doing it this way. I do think that if you try to get new council members up to speed on something this heavy, it's going to take an immense amount of time. I also think there is some validity to what you said, Ben, which is that this is the council that put this together. And frankly, there's there's some value in just being able to do what's right, not what's necessarily popular or people sticking their finger in the wind to see which way it's blowing as to whether or not they think they should support this because it helps them or hurts them politically. And those calculations are absolutely being made by by some people in elected office when they take votes, whether they should be or not. Um, Mayor Pro Tem Isil, Councilmember Newton, Councilmember Phipps, myself, we can do what we think is right and, and to hell with the political consequences of it. So I, I actually think that there's some value in being able to just do that instead of worrying about what the next election or, or any of that stuff. All right, that's it. That's all our time. Council members Tark Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. And gentlemen, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank right. you. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week we saw an hours-long police pursuit here in Charlotte. Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured. But that's not always the case. A WCNC Charlotte investigation found innocent bystanders are too often hurt or killed during the, these police pursuits. In fact, in our first year of the pandemic, a record 214 bystanders lost their lives. Those are numbers from across the country. WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido has more for us today. Black your model. Choose your battles. At the heart of consideration. Before officers escalate a traffic stop. We're still going. Is this pursuit worth it? Their choice in the moment. Hey, come on, get to Julia. Pursue a driver. Got him. He's still uh, wrong way. Or just let them go. The law gives police discretion to decide which is better for our protection. Just about hit two cars head on, crossed over to the right side of the road. Blurring the lines of public safety. You're dead now, Aaron. That's all I kept saying. He said, We waited so long for this day. As life, hey, Dad, and death, 75 miles an hour, wrong side of travel, wrong way, hang in the balance. 1050, 1050, big 1050. An attempted CMPD traffic stop during the evening commute earlier this year left Aaron Norwood fighting for his life. They had an operate on me for five hours straight. And Brittany Webb's family battling the silence to make sure the young mother's story is told. Because it's important for people to know what happened to her. A WCNC Charlotte analysis of federal data found Brittany is among at least 4,200 innocent people. You can't bring your family back. Killed over the last four decades. How could this happen? In connection to police pursuits. Everything about her 
is going to be deeply missed. We got a 1050. Several of those victims lived. She had a great big smile. And died in the Charlotte area and Carolinas. I won't see her again. I won't ever see her again. Also killed during that time, more than 9,300 people inside chase cars and 130 in police cruisers. Our review of federal pursuit data found the number of reported bystander deaths alone has more than tripled since 1982. 2022 started with more preventable deaths. Um, I was excited. As Aaron, Brittany, and a friend drove to the hospital to visit Aaron's newborn daughter, Zaylee, two Charlotte Mecklenburg police officers tried multiple times to stop a black man driving a Jeep with a covered but still visible license plate. They said the driver eventually sped up and drove into the wrong lane, at which point police disengaged for the last time. The result? This crash. The disregard for people alive is sad. Aaron, not wearing a seatbelt, didn't wake up for a month. And she had two beautiful children, too. Brittany, also unbuckled, spent weeks on life support just across the hall. She tried to give her her, her punches, but the punches weren't strong enough for her to prevail. Her younger daughter had a Mother's Day event that I know she would have been at, but instead I was there. So that was really, really hard. Just a week after this crash, another innocent person died. This time, CMPD tried to pull over a teen driving more than 50 miles over the speed limit. Officers said they disengaged before he eventually slammed into Mickey Brown. Two innocent deaths in as many weeks. Police charged both drivers with murder, but that diminishes their involvement. We're all human beings. It would be unrealistic to think that in these high-stress situations that the right decision is always made. The public expects you all to make the right decision every time. They do. They do. This is a difficult job. CMPD's since tightened up its pursuit policy, making it slightly more restrictive. But Lieutenant Steve Fishback says not in response to any specific case. We want to make sure that when officers are engaging, initiating and engaging in a pursuit, that it is for crimes that are dangerous to life. WCNC Charlotte's analysis of department records shows the number of pursuits has more than quadrupled over the last decade. Most started with violent crimes, but some began with traffic violations. There is a need, an expectation, that we apprehend these people who are preying on our community members. Okay, but I'm going to correct you. They're not all violent. And in those cases where a pursuit is not taking place for a pursuable offense, per our directive, those officers are going to be held accountable. Lieutenant Fishback says supervisors monitor pursuits in real time, and CMPD scrutinizes them internally as well. Sometimes poor judgment leads to innocent death. Our officers took this job to save lives. And so any loss of life in the community is felt by all of us. In 2012, um, my life changed. Esther Sewanis' husband died an innocent victim in Texas. She's with Pursuit Safety. We're talking about thousands of lives that could be saved because they didn't pursue. The nonprofit tracks deadly pursuits and believes police should only give chase when a violent felony is involved. We would like to minimize unnecessary pursuits. An area where CMPD could improve. I would welcome that feedback. 
you know, the CMPD is constantly trying to improve. In the meantime, Brittany's family. There's a space missing. Faced with a battle they did not choose. I just told my daughter from my heart, I'm going to fight for you. Is fighting back. Remember Zaylin. Aaron. You doing this for Zaylin. Grateful he walked away with a second chance. This is one person I can't let down. Is fighting too for his daughter. I think she's going to be a boxer though. Because <laughs> she definitely knows how to hold her hands already. And she's fighting for him. CMPD wouldn't talk specifically about this case, but personnel records show in the weeks after the crash, the agency suspended the two officers involved without pay for at least 15 days. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. Nate, thanks. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Come interact with us on social media. Let us know what you want to talk about here on Flashpoint. A note, we do not have a show next weekend, but I'll see you throughout the week. Starting at 4.30 in the morning on Wake Up Charlotte.